This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Officially, Christmas morning, at least on the East Coast. Those of you on the West Coast still have a, a few hours of enjoying Christmas Eve left. And I'm imagining, I don't know how Santa Claus operates, but uh, I think he probably goes from East to West and hits the areas that are celebrating Christmas Day first, first, in order to give him more time to get these uh, Christmas gifts planted around the tree. I don't know how Santa operates, but it's certainly remarkable. All right. We have an action-packed four hours for you. We're going to try and have some fun. We're going to try and forget about the ills of the world. There are some issues in the news that are very serious. I'll bring them to you over the next four hours as we get them. There's some issues in the news that are positive. For instance, the news uh, that broke over the weekend that uh, Vladimir Putin is privately signaling interest in a ceasefire in Ukraine. I think the quicker there's a ceasefire in all these conflicts, especially the conflict in Eastern Europe, which has killed hundreds of thousands of people on both sides, the better. So that's a hopeful sign this Christmas. Um, I, it was also kind of a bummer. I'm not the biggest fan of the, the Dixie Chicks, or I think they call themselves the Chicks. But I was very sorry to see that uh, Laura Lynch, a founding member of the Chicks, has been killed in a head-on car crash in Texas, only 64 years old, and she apparently died instantly. And I'm mentioning this not only to remember Laura Lynch, but uh, to remind you who, especially if you're driving home late at night, especially if you've had a few, please be careful. I honestly think in the age of Uber, there's no reason to drive after having even one drink. Take an Uber. Leave your car wherever it happens to be and just take an Uber. It's not worth falling asleep, which is difficult enough when it's uh, an odd hour of the morning and uh, it's not worth just getting into an accident. You could hurt yourself, kill yourself, or hurt someone else. So if you're listening to me and you're drowsy or a little buzzed, pull over and call an Uber. Simple as that. It is well worth the whatever amount of money it is. Uh, believe me. It is the... Say it is the most efficient use. Think of it as an insurance policy, right? Maybe you'll be okay. Maybe you'll get home fine. But on the off chance that you don't, why risk it? Why risk it? All right. A lot going on. Uh, I want to first to tell you something that maybe I don't tell you enough. I'm very grateful uh, to you for listening to this program. Without you, this program would simply not exist. And uh, this Christmas, I think it uh, bears repeating that I am nothing 
without you and the opportunity that you have given me to do this show. Additionally, I want to thank our owners, uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis, as well as our president, Chad Lopez, for the opportunity to do this show. Every day for me, having this job, which I consider to be the greatest in the world, really is like Christmas. So the fact that today is actually Christmas and I'm getting to do what I love, I really appreciate that. We had a very fun Christmas Eve at my dad's house. It was quite a feast. I mean, they say the Feast of the Seven Fishes. This was more like a Feast of the 700 Fishes. I think there were seven fishes in the cold uh, in the cold fish salad alone. So uh, just, I don't want to make, I'm not trying to sound like I'm bragging, but just to give you an idea of how full we all are. For appetizers, we had pizza bagels, fried galamad, little quiches, baked brie, shrimp cocktail, and cold fish salad, which, yes, did indeed include seven fishes. As far as pasta goes, we had linguine with red clam sauce and linguine with white clam sauce, along with the all the fixins of grated cheese and red pepper. As far as the main course goes, it was buffet style. Uh, we had potato croquettes, asparagus, broccoli rabe, lobster tails, uh, some of the most delicious lobster tails I've ever experienced. I think they're from New Zealand or Australia or something. uh, Two different kinds of shrimp, gumbo with rice and uh, a kind of a fried tilapia. Then, for people that don't care for fish, there was also an eggplant parmesan and uh, there was, of course, quite a dessert assortment of all sorts of assorted cookies. My thanks as well to my father and stepmother for working so hard to put that party together because uh, I know this is something they work for for weeks and it really shows and everybody had a great time and it's certainly great to uh, be able to spend time with family and uh, the friends that attended the party. I'm grateful not only to you, grateful not only to John and Margot Katsimatidis, but grateful to our staff. Uh, We've had a whole bunch of staff changes recently, but throughout it all, We have had the steady hand of Matt Blaze all year. He's been great. He's taking a well-deserved day off today. And I want to thank the people that are working today, Tony Atwood, Christian Matos, and Elias. Appreciate all of you and all you do for our show. Hopefully this time next year, this show is so wildly successful that uh, the ratings bonuses we're getting are so big that I'll be able to share it with all of you because uh, without you guys... This show doesn't air. And I want to thank all of our affiliates, particularly all of our affiliates that signed on with us early, the Nevada Talk Radio Network and uh, WCBM, but also our newer affiliates, uh, WFDF in Detroit, uh, KWAM in the Mighty 990 in Tennessee, WUCT in uh, Tennessee, uh, KYBR in Alaska, all of our terrific affiliates, and especially... KMOX in St. Louis, Missouri. Now, I say especially KMOX for two reasons. One, because starting next week on, I think, January 2nd, they're going to be carrying, you guys are going to be carrying this show every day. Thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners in St. Louis and the overall Missouri area for making this a reality. I have heard from management how much you've been lobbying, and I appreciate that, and it is an honor to be on a station like KMOX, a 50,000-watt station, which I have been listening to for 
years and truly is a legendary station. But the other reason that I especially want to mention KMOX is because of the history of KMOX. KMOX actually signed on to the air tonight, 97 years ago tonight, Christmas Eve of 1925. And it started, KMOX was started, if you don't know the history, in the early 20s by a group of businessmen who formed a company known as the Voice of St. Louis, Inc. So the station's owners wanted KVSL, as the call letters, for Voice of St. Louis. The owners also applied for KMO, with MO, the abbreviation for Missouri. But those call letters had been in use by another station since 1922, a station out of uh, Tacoma. So then KMOX signed on the air on December 24, 1925, The X was added because the starting date was Christmas Eve or Xmas Eve. So a local legend states that the call letters mean Kirkwood, Missouri on Christmas or on Xmas. So I think this is a real treat to be airing right now on the only radio station in America that is actually named for the holiday that we're celebrating. And obviously going back all the way to 1927 when the station gave prominent coverage to Charles Lindbergh's flight across the Atlantic in his plane, The Spirit of St. Louis, um, the history that KMOX has absolutely speaks for itself. All right. Let me tell you what's coming up. Uh, we're going to talk with John Gambling in just a bit. John Gambling is a friend of mine. He is a legendary New York radio personality and is a third-generation New York radio personality. And since John Gambling retired, every year I have been doing a Christmas show and been doing his reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Now, I love this particular poem. Twas the Night Before Christmas, and we spent a lot of time uh, talking about the history of Twas the Night Before Christmas because it really is so special and has become so emblematic of the season. And this poem is 200 years old this week. A Visit from St. Nicholas, a.k.a. The Night Before Christmas, was published anonymously in the Troy, New York Sentinel on December 23rd, 1823, and the author remained unknown as the tale soared in popularity. Years later, it was finally credited to wealthy Manhattan biblical scholar Clement Clark Moore, and this vivid poem established the modern visualization of Santa Claus. So uh, we've spoken with some scholars about the history of this poem and Clement Moore itself, himself, But uh, we're going to do John Gambling's reading of it in just a bit. And something that we played last year for the first time, I think we played it last year for the first time, that I just loved is an appropriate tribute not only to our Christian listeners, but to our Jewish listeners as well. Because I have discovered, or a couple of years ago I discovered, a reading that my friend, the late, great Barry Farber, did of this poem, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." in Yiddish. So I'm not going to play you the whole thing, but we're going to play you a portion of Barry Farber reading Twas the Night Before Christmas in Yiddish. Uh, We've got some other fun stuff. We'll do our annual replaying of the WMCA Christmas Carol from 1981 with Bob Grant as Ebenezer Scrooge. We got commendations coming up. 
Joe Piscopo uh, is going to stop by and uh, share us some stories about what he's doing for Christmas. And uh, the legendary DJ, one of the greatest of all time, Cousin Brucey, is going to join us in our fourth hour to talk about what Christmas is like musically and what it's been like to be on the air around Christmas time for the last 60 years. But before we get to John Gambling and Twas the Night Before Christmas, I want to share with you a edit, an editorial that was written in 1949 by the late Vermont Royster and has been published annually in the Wall Street Journal every Christmas since then. And it was, again, published this weekend. And it's just so on the money, and I think it's very much in keeping with the season. By the way, speaking of the season... I know a lot of us may not go to church every Sunday, but even those of us that are only sporadic in our church attendance generally make an effort to attend church on Christmas, or at least the Sunday before Christmas. We didn't do midnight mass, but we did Sunday morning mass on Christmas Eve. And sometimes you feel guilty, and especially if you go to Catholic services, they make you feel a little guilty. You go to these Catholic churches and they say, oh, I remember all you guys from Easter. Christmas is a season where even if you're not typically religious, even if you don't make a habit of praying daily, even if you don't make a habit of thinking about religion on a regular basis, Christmas is a season and a holiday where you are overcome with spirituality and with faith. I don't think there's anything wrong with going to church on Christmas. I don't think it makes you phony, even if you don't go any other week of the year. I think it's a wonderful time to be a little bit more spiritual, to think about God, to think about faith, to think about religion when you don't typically. And look, even if you're an an atheist or an agnostic, being a part of a grand religious tradition like a Christmas worship service on the holiday, it can help you feel connected to millions of others, billions of others. It can help you feel connected to a cause greater than yourself. And I think that's important every day but especially today. And I've heard a great deal. I'm going to get into this a little bit with Joe Piscopo in our third hour, but I've heard a great deal from people who have lost folks. A woman called me on Friday, and she seemed like such a nice lady, and she said that she had no family left. And I just so, felt so bad for this uh, this wonderful woman because she just seemed incredibly fun, incredibly kind, incredibly intelligent, and she's got nobody to celebrate Christmas with. And I think if that's you, if you're listening to the radio right now because you were not at a Christmas Eve party or you're not getting up early to prepare your Christmas Day holiday, then at least... Maybe go to church and spend some time with the people at church for an hour or so. In any event, uh, that is some of what was in mind by Vermont Royster when he wrote this editorial in 1949. It's called In Hoc Anno Domini. When Saul of Tarsus set out on his journey to Damascus, the whole of the known world lay in bondage. There was one state, and it was Rome. There was one master for it all, and he was Tiberius Caesar. Everywhere there was civil order, for the arm of the Roman law was long. Everywhere there was stability in government and in society, for the centurions saw that it was so. But everywhere there was something else, too. There was oppression. For those who were not the friends of Tiberius Caesar, there was the tax-gatherer to take the grain from the fields and the flax from the spindle to feed the legions or to fill the hungry treasury 
from which divine Caesar gave largesse to the people. There was the impressor to find recruits for the circuses. There were executioners to quiet those whom the emperor proscribed. What was a man for but to serve Caesar? There was the persecution of men who dared think differently, who heard strange voices or read strange manuscripts. There was enslavement of men whose tribes came not from Rome, disdain for those who did not have the familiar visage. And most of all, there was everywhere a contempt for human life. What to the strong was one man more or less in a crowded world. Then of a sudden there was a light in the world, and a man from Galilee saying, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And the voice from Galilee, which would defy Caesar, offered a new kingdom, in which each man could walk upright, and bow to none but his God. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And he sent this gospel of the kingdom of man into the uttermost ends of the earth. So the light came into the world, and the men who lived in darkness were afraid, and they tried to lower a curtain so that man would still believe salvation lay with the leaders. But it came to pass for a while in divers places that the truth did set man free, although the men of darkness were offended, and they tried to put out the light. The voice said, Haste ye, walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you, for he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Along the road to Damascus the light shone brightly, but afterward Paul of Tarsus, too, was sore afraid. He feared that other Caesars, other prophets, might one day persuade men that man was nothing save a servant unto them, that men might yield up their birthright from God for pottage and walk no more in freedom. Then might it come to pass that darkness would settle again over the lands and there would be a burning of books and men would think only of what they should eat and what they should wear and would give heed only to new Caesars and to false prophets. Then might it come to pass that men would not look upward to see even a winter star in the east and once more there would be no light at all in the darkness. And so Paul, the apostle of the Son of Man, spoke to his brethren, the Galatians, the word he would have us remember afterward in each of the years of his Lord. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. All right. I'm going to be with you for the next four hours or so. And if you're in New York, probably the next five hours. But hopefully my voice can uh, can hold out until then. I appreciate your patience. You know, Curtis Lewa gave me a steroid to take, and he gave me a couple to take over the weekend, which he said he would help, me, which he said would help my voice. I have to be honest. I took this special Curtis steroid. I think it actually made my voice worse. It, it really has has screwed up my throat a bit. That jokes on me for taking a steroid from Curtis. I'll see if John Gambling has any tips. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line.
It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. It is snowmen and Santas and folks of good cheer. It's gingerbread men and flying reindeer. It's wreaths with red bows, colorful lights. It's that tree at Rockefeller lit up in the nights. It's Christmas. Give it meaning or not. It's still Christmas, and it still means a lot. It's still Christmas. Why are we talking? It is the day when Jesus was born. This, of course, is the Christmas classic, It's Still Christmas, by John Gambling and J.J. Kennedy. For those of you listening around the country, you are in for a treat. Because for those of us that grew up with New York radio, especially around the holidays, the voice of Christmas, at least on the spoken word format, was John Gambling. However, not content to merely be limited to the spoken word before he decided to retire from radio. He recorded this terrific classic with J.J. Kennedy, and it has gone up there with any Irving Berlin song, any Bing Crosby song, all of your favorite Christmas hits, and it is available on YouTube. Uh, And we are very, very pleased to be joined once again, as we have just about every Christmas since John retired from radio, by the one and only legendary New York radio personality, John Gambling. John, Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Frank. Uh, you know, who gets an introduction like that from Frank Morano? It's unbelievable. You, you, you boosted me to levels that are uh, not, not deserved. Uh, one of the reasons I retired was that song. It's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could finally afford to retire with the royalties from that song, I guess. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was just massive. I, I, I actually uh, seeded my royalties uh, to J.J. Kennedy. Uh, last I heard, she was, uh, you know, somewhere in, in the Caribbean. So. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, we hear of a lot of radio duos or music duos that uh, split up because of how to handle the uh, their catalog of uh, of hits. Um, yeah, and Hall, Hall & Oates. Hall and Oates. You, know, you, you and J.J. Right? better be careful. Exactly. Hey, um, <laughs> real quick, though. Tell folks the story of that song. Obviously, you're not a musician. Why record a Christmas song? Well, I'll be honest with you. J.J. came to me with the idea. Uh, she and a musical friend of hers had come up with this idea, and, and J.J. and I had for years uh, discussed the, uh, the secular nature of uh, our Christmas holidays and others, and, uh, you know, we kind of bemoaned it. And J.J. on her own came to me one day with this uh, script, these words, and a piece of music, and she said, would you voice this? And I said, you know what? Sure, I'd love to. I've never done anything like that. It was just sort of a goof. Um, and it, it, it turned, as you say, turned into something uh, close to Bing Crosby's White Christmas. <laughs> it, it does sound terrific. By the way, a shout out to J.J. Uh, Kennedy's husband, who calls into this program from time to time, especially whenever he plays that song. Uh, it seems like a great guy and a, a great listener. John, uh, before we uh, discuss... Twas the night before Christmas and your tradition of reading this on the radio. Let me ask you for a little bit of selfish advice. As you can hear, I've got this frog in my throat. Uh, maybe it's due to overuse. Maybe it's due to trying to shout over music at Christmas parties. Maybe it's being on the air 20, 20 hours a week. 
I'm sure over the course of a few decades in radio, you've had your fair share of sore throats or laryngitis. Any quick fixes for this, John? You know, Frank, I, I don't I don't really think so. I, I always, uh, you know, uh, tea with a lot of lemon and honey uh, worked worked for me occasionally. But it's it's one of those things you just kind of have to wait it wait it out, right. and uh, it, it will ultimately disappear. You know, I always wondered whether or not. I mean, that, now we're now we're off into written, you know, Neverland Radio Neverland. Uh, I always wondered when I got a cold. You know, you're all you're all stuffed up and you sound terrible. Whether that was a good thing to come to work or or should I have stayed home uh, to get rid of it faster rather than torture the listener? Yeah. Uh, I never came up with it. I never came up with an answer. Uh, you and me both. So, John, obviously you're a grandparent now. The gambling brood keeps growing. How many grandchildren are you up, up to now? Uh, we have five grandchildren and we're very proud of and very happy about. Um, we The uh, group in Boston... Uh, that's Bradley, uh, Bradley and Nina, Bradley and Nina have two little girls, Jane and Grace, uh, Andrew in Atlanta has two little boys, Jack and uh, Luke and uh, William who lives in New York city. Uh, he and Whitney have a, a relatively new little girl, Georgia. Uh, she's 18 months old. Wow. And we're, we're going to see, we're going to see them, uh, coming up for Christmas. Here. Wow. Uh, that's terrific. That's what I was just going to ask is what are the gamblings doing for Christmas this year? Well, uh, Wendy has uh, decorated our home. She outdid herself this year. She was always good at it. Uh, but this year I don't, I'm for whatever reason, and it's a positive one. The place looks fantastic. So uh, the, the, we have the, the two families coming, uh, the Boston group, Bradley and his family are not coming. They were here at Thanksgiving. And I imagine if Wendy's decorating, there must have been plenty of blue Christmas lights around, right? Absolutely. Blue Christmas lights everywhere throughout the house. <laughs> it, looks, it, it looks like a run conquer. <laughs> yeah. If people don't know, John Gambling has a strong aversion to blue Christmas lights. Uh, why is that again, John? Um, I don't know. They just uh, they they don't seem very Christmassy. But you know, um, a, a fair number of people put them up, and hey, everybody makes choices. Uh, John, obviously, you're in Florida these days. You spent most of your life as a New Yorker and entertaining scores of New Yorkers. What's the biggest difference between winter time in Florida and Christmas time in Florida versus winter time and Christmas time in New York? Well, I'll I'll tell you. It doesn't quite feel the same Christmas time down here. Um, you know, we have all of the, all of the trappings and uh, the music and all, all of this and the parties that go along with it. Uh, but there's just the fact that it's, it's not cold, one thing. And I don't know. New York seems so Christmas-centric, you know, with the tree and all, all, all the rest of it. And uh, we seem a little bit distanced from that. Uh, having said that, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade Florida for anything. Yeah. It's, fan- it's fantastic. Any season of the year, uh, it gets super hot in the summertime, and it's a little cold right at the moment. I mean, when I say cold, you know, we're talking about high sixties during the day, and uh, that, I know that sounds that sounds pretty warm <laughs> to you folks up there, but uh, for up for us uh, Floridians. Uh, that gets our attention. Well, uh, so something tells me that you get in a great deal more golf in the winter in Florida versus New York. Oh, of course, of course we do. I mean, the the, the thing is that the, the seasons sort of blend together. There mm. definitely are seasons. I mean, I live in Southwest Florida, 
uh, and um, it's it's pretty warm and, and cozy. But it it we do have seasons. There are definite weather patterns and seasonal temperatures, and you you know that the the rainy season comes in uh, you know August, uh, September, October, and then it switches into into fall and winter, and in the springtime it'll come back. The springtime is really the best, I think. Yeah, that's the time of year where it really gets delightful. When we spoke three years ago, you were very, very high on Ron DeSantis. Not only were you singing his praises as a governor, but you said you were really the first person I heard say it, that this is a future presidential candidate. He's still running for president. He's had some stumbles. Obviously, he's hoping to rebound, but uh, it looks like uh, he's not the challenger to Trump that a lot of the stop Trump Republicans had hoped he would be. Give me your view of Ron DeSantis. This is presidential campaign. Well, he really has run out of gas, um, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure why, because he really hasn't changed his tune very much. But when he doesn't present himself particularly well on television, he always seems to have a, a scowl on his face. Uh, he never he, he never seems to be uh, kind of light and airy and, and breezy as as I think candidates need to be in presenting themselves. So. You know, we're going to have to wait and see, but I don't think uh, I don't think the governor down here is uh, going to going to make it on on the national scene. And personally, selfishly, uh, I think that's good because he, he's a he's a good governor. I, I like the, what, the way he runs the state of Florida. Are we going to see a second Trump administration, John? What do you think? Oh my goodness, Frank! I, I you know that's it's so tough. I mean, I I watch him and his policies and his ideas strike me uh, in the right place. But then I kind of have a stomach ache after watching him. I mean, it's like eating too much or having a bad meal or that tasted good but turns into a bad meal and your stomach hurts afterwards. Um, He he just he's hard to take. All right. Uh, For the last nine years, we have played your reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas, not only since we've been syndicated, but since I was on WABC in New York, even before that, when I was on AM 970 in New York. Give folks a little bit of the history of the gambling family and John B, A and R and their reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas. Frank, when did you go syndicated? When did you go coast to coast? Uh, about a, about a year ago. We're it's it's uh, we're we're growing slowly but surely. A uh, big shout out to we uh, our listeners KMOX in St. Louis, WCBM in Baltimore, uh, and uh, a lot of our uh, stations around the country. All great folks. WFDF in Detroit. We're, we're slowly but surely we're we're growing. Congratulations! Thank to you. you on Thanks that. very that, much. That's that's fantastic. Now, for for those in those far off uh, counties. Um, the gamblings have were on the radio in New York City for a cumulative number of years, 90 to be specific, before I retired. Uh, it started with my grandfather, John B. Gambling, in 1925, um, and uh, he, he continued uh, through 1959 uh, when my father took over the, the program, which was called Rambling with Gambling, and... Um, he went to 95 uh, when I stepped in, and uh, we've uh, continued to – I can't even remember when I retired, but it must be about seven or eight years ago now. And um, it, it was really a, a wonderful uh, run, 
a great legacy and um, something that uh, I know I'm proud of and I know they were too. So w- what is the deal with Twas the Night Before Christmas? When did you start reading it and, and how did that tradition get started? Well, actually, my grandfather, when my father was a child, my grandfather would have a Christmas show. Uh, sometimes it was actually on Christmas Day, but it was usually the day before uh, Christmas Eve, something like that. And he would invite, uh, obviously, my, my father and my grandmother. Um, he would always have the Salvation Army uh, choir there. Uh, it was rather a, a, a big deal. And he had to get my father sort of involved, had him read The Night Before Christmas, which he did every year. And uh, even after my father took over the hosting job, she continued to read it as well. And, of course, you know, the tradition, you know, we, we're not very creative. The gamblings aren't very creative. <laughs> we just kept repeating things over and over it, and couldn't over Couldn't even again. think of new names. Took you 90 years yeah. to come up with some new names. Absolutely so. We're, we're just not very creative. Anyway, uh, my father, I can, rem- I can remember to this day um, – we lived out. We we lived on Long Island forever. Uh, we lived in uh, Plandome, Long Island. <clears throat> I can remember the house. I can remember the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, my father said, "You know, Johnny, you want to come on the radio and read the night before Christmas?" And I looked at him. You know, uh, kind of starry-eyed. What? What do you want me to do? And so uh, I was probably ten years old. I would think maybe. And he had this typed typed page with the night before Christmas. Clement Clark Moores, and he took a pencil and he underscored the places he thought I should emphasize. Well, 10 years old, you don't even know what that means. (laughs) So, uh, um, but, you know, we practiced, uh, I practiced, and then uh, that come the day of the broadcast, uh, I read it, and I, I read it every year since then. Well, here we are. Here is the John R. Gambling interpretation of Twas the Night Before Christmas. "'Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children, they're nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When... Out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to that window I flew like a flash, I tore open the shutters, I threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below, and when what to my wondering eyes did appear? But a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer, with a little old driver so lively and quick I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled, and he shouted, and he called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donder and Blitzen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle mount to the sky, so... Up to the housetop, the coursers they flew with the sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas, too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and the pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. 
He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled! His dimples, how merry! His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin, as white as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face, little round belly, that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby, plump, right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye, a twist of his head, soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but he went straight to his work, and he filled all the stockings. Then he turned with a jerk, and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod. Up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh. To his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, "Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night." The other side of midnight. Correctional facilities on a lot of our great stations who are incarcerated right now and are in a jail cell instead of being home with their families. And maybe you're in there because you deserve to be there, or maybe you got screwed. Whatever the case may be, if you're not home with your family on Christmas, it really doesn't matter for you. Meaning, you would much rather be there with your family, enjoying the feast of the seven fishes, or whatever your local tradition calls for, whatever your family meal calls for. Instead, you're in a cell.、Uh, know that I am thinking about you. I am praying for you, and I hope things improve for you. And I hope you're able to make the most of this. You know, usually I would、uh, you read shoutouts, Christmas greetings from people that are incarcerated to their family members. And I didn't have a chance to do that this week. Shame on me,、uh, but I'm going to make an effort to do that. If you're listening in prison,、uh, write to me, Frank Dot Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks dot com. Even if you sent me a 
an, a request through core links to be on my approved email list or your approved email list. We'll stay in touch, and the next major holiday will make an effort to allow you to give shout-outs to your family members, tell them to tune into the radio, and you can give them a special greeting, or even to other uh, other people that are in the jail or the prison that you happen to be housed at. Well, as promised, since we're in a twas-the-night-before-Christmas mood, here is one of the greatest radio talk show hosts of all time, and he's very well-known in the New York area, but he was really well-known nationally because he had a national profile he was a, a national host on Daynet in the early days of syndication. Also, up until he died at the age of 90, was heard on his syndicated show on CRN Digital Talk Radio. Obviously, he had been on WMCA, WABC, WOR, uh, every great radio station in the New York area. But he was from North Carolina originally. Even though he really became a New Yorker, he was very much a North Carolinian. I'm speaking, of course, of the great Barry Farber, who spoke more languages than I can count. One of them that he was very proficient in was Yiddish, and that had a lot of meaning to him because he was Jewish. I mean, you talk about a guy that was a walking contradiction. He was a Jew in the South, a region not necessarily known for being hospitable to Jews. He was a Republican, conservative Republican in New York City, not necessarily an area known for being hospitable to conservative Republicans. And he was just a wonderful man, died a couple of years ago. I miss him. I'm still in touch with his uh, his daughters, and uh, I miss him a great deal. And listening to him, the way he used words, the way he used language, the way that he used wit, it makes me realize how far I have to go as a radio talk show host, because Barry Farber really was a master. As you can tell in this reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas in Yiddish. We're not going to play the whole thing, but here's a few minutes of Barry Farber explaining how this came to be and then reading in Yiddish himself. Take it away, Barry. This is Barry Farber. And December 24th of, uh, I think, the year 1980, I was doing an afternoon drive-time call-in show on WMCA Radio in New York, and I suddenly realized who in the world is going to be driving or calling or even listening on Christmas Eve. So just to have some fun, as we say down south, just uh, uh, cutting up a little bit, uh, I waited until the light went on in the studio, and then as seriously as I could, I said, ladies and gentlemen, I will now perform my annual Christmas Eve recitation of Twas the Night Before Christmas in Yiddish. And I did, as I now will. Thousands of people wrote in, only between 60 and 65 percent of them Jewish. And we decided to make an annual thing of it and even imprison that marvelous poem on cassette so that you may play it at any time of any year. I now recite, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas, the immortal poem by Clement C. Moore, translated into Yiddish by Maria Jaffe." Sis gewen erev Christmas, and still is in Heisel. Kein nefeschul rit sich, afille kein Meisel. Beim Euvele seinen die Socken gehangen, mit Hoffnung, als bald wird der Jontof anfangen. Die Kinderlach liegen verdeckt in die Bettlach, und sisse geläumes bei sie tanzen in Keplach. Die Weiben verzelle, und ich in mein Jarmel, Kehr haben sich zugelegt, hob ma Dremel. Dann plötzlich, in Dreusen, a Gewalt, a Geridder, 
Ich spreng von mein Bett mit zertreselte Glieder. Ich flieh wie ein Wind, ich läuf auf Versamter. Komm, komm, bin ich dort. Und ich öffne ein Fenster. Der Schnee hat gefallen, ein weißer, ein Neier. Und es scheint die Levone mit herrlichen Feier. Ich guck mit Beraschung, ich seh, oi, weh's mir. A kleinschicken Droschke mit acht kleinen Reindier. Ein altinger Treiber, aber freilich geschickt. Ich hab bald verstanden. Er muss sein Rebnick. Viel schneller wie Fegel die Hirschelach kommen. Er pfeift und er schreit und er ruft sie beim Nomen. Komm Dasher, komm Prenzer, komm Danzer und Wichsen, komm Komet, komm Cupid, komm Donner und Blitzen. A ruf auf den Porch, jetzt kriegt er auf die Wand. Kommt, ritt sich, wärem soll sein mit Verstand. Also wie vertrinkende Blätter sich heben, wenn's blost auf sie stürmige Winden von oben. Also ist die Troschke geflogen zum Dach, mit allerlei guten Sachen gepackt, nur halbe Minute im ganzen Verhaben, und mein Herd auf den Dach, wie die Fieselach klappen. Ich dreh sich herum, und komm, mach ich ein Stell. Ort steht der Reb Niki bei mir auf den Schwell, euch geputzt in Futter, was passt ihm sehr wohl. Ein bisschen schmutzig mit Eschen, mit Keul. Schleppt ein Sechel mit Satzgelech, voll kein Einhörer. Er guckt euch wie ein Peddler, was handelt mit Ware. Sein Eugelach blieschen, sein Ponemel finkelt. Die Beckelach reut und der Nesela pinkel. Die Mäule ist ein kleiner, doch sehr sympathisch. Und sein schneeweißer Bord tacke ganz balabatisch. Er reichert der Lulke zwischen die Zehen. Und der Reuch fließt darum seinen Kopf, gerade schön. Ort geht er ein Lach und sein rundecker Beichel. Zu schockelt sich, punkt wie ein Teller mit Meichel, a Weulinker Menschele, gut ausgepaschet. Ich hab sich zu lacht, er hat mir nicht gestraschet. A wunk mit sein Oig und sein Kopf geht a dreh. Man kann sich vorstellen, als er is okay. Er red nicht a Wort, seine Arbeit hat dross, hat allemen Socken gestoppt on a Moss, gepottert sein Arbeit, dann geht er a lach und häub sich a Reus sehr schnell durch dem Dach. Springt da rein in sein Droschke und stiegen an Leiter, geht da Pfeif zu die Hirschen und fuhren sie weiter, doch herrlicher Stimme, was singt auf den Wind, gut jont auf mich Pocher und seid mir gesinnt. And that's how Clement C. Moore's immortal poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, sounds like in Yiddish, translated by Maria Jaffe. This is no gag. This is no stunt. This is a serious translation. Maria Jaffe wasn't playing around when she translated Twas the Night Before Christmas. She also translated Hiawatha, uh, William Shakespeare, in Yiddish his name is Velvel <laughs> Shakespeare. She translated Affenspitz alten Schmucki beschotten mit Schnee. Dort hab ich verloren, mein Liebchen Oive. And then she turned around and did... Oi, gib mir a heim, wo de Buflachsen gehen, wo de Hirschelach springen, oi, flan. Ken mal Hertmann dort, dat's a tumulten wort, und de Himmel is bloi noch anan. But what translation? Christmas Eve, Erev Christmas, can you beat that? And of course, my favorite Santa Claus, Rebnik. I don't know what good feeling. Uh, it is that wells within when we use Yiddish in this way, but I just hope the feeling <laughs> is as good in you uh, as it is in me. On the other side of this cassette, we have some of the best Yiddish proverbs. Maybe you can study them and learn them. If there ever were an Olympics of proverbs, meet some of the stars now on the Yiddish team. All right. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. 
We're going to continue. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, we're going to play the 1981 Christmas Carol that Bob Grant did for radio. We got Joe Piscopo. We got Cousin Brucie. A lot of show to come on this, the special Christmas edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, help control the reindeer population and get your reindeer flying or otherwise spayed or neutered. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.